same person that we don't want to do nothing they say is the same person that we end up having to ask to help us when we're in trouble. You ain't got to tell the truth, but you ought to go on and admit it. Go and get set free and tell the truth that the same, the very person that we have treated his commands as optional is the very person that when we find ourselves in a pinch, when we find ourselves in the belly of the fish, he's the same God that we end up asking to deliver us. And here's the good news. Here's your shout. In spite of the fact that I ain't done nothing he told me to do, he still delivers me anyway. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Jonah chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Let's read together. Let's get our good Bible reading voices. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. As you take your seat, shout my title to your neighbor. Tell them another chance. I want to talk today from the subject, another chance. Before Friday, I suspect that there were probably not many people who had heard about Maria Gallagher and Anna Maria Archila, or Archila. But today, if you've been watching the news, somebody say, if you've been watching the news, if you've been watching the news, we could possibly say that, that their names are becoming household words. After a full day of official Senate hearings, these two women, I believe they were Hispanics, not only stubbornly refused to let the elevator's doors close, but they fiercely challenged Senator Jeff Flake, the critical swing vote on the Senate Judiciary Committee, as he was on his way to cast his vote to advance the Supreme Court nominee. He was planning to do it before he was accosted by Archilla or Archilla and Gallagher, who blocked him. They put their foot in the door of the elevator to keep him from getting away. Archilla and Gallagher, both survivors of sexual assault, confronted Flake and spoke their truth. Just hours after their elevator confrontation, Flake called for a one-week delay on the Senate confirmation of the Supreme Court nominee so that the FBI could investigate the claim. Now, you and I both know that we don't know what the end is going to be with this. It's not very clear how this call for an FBI probe is going to change Flake's backing of the nominee, or even if it's going to make a difference in the outcome. But some observers have suggested that it could have been possibly a turning point on another day of drama and chaos on Capitol Hill. At best, if nothing else, it provided a temporary reprieve, somebody say a reprieve, from a toxic week that threatened the, the independence of the Supreme Court. And it started because two women, somebody shout two women, two women refused to take no for an answer. And you know, I've been reflecting on their persistence, Rosalind. I've been thinking about these two women who, by most estimations, were basically nobodies. I mean, they didn't really have any stature. They didn't have any stature. They haven't been on, well, they on everybody's show now, probably. But prior to this past Friday, nobody really knew who they were. 
They had no political power. They had no influence. But they were unafraid. Somebody said unafraid. To challenge Senator Flake and hold him accountable for a decision that could affect not just himself, but the nation for decades. Not just because of the claims of sexual harassment, which are crucial and critical, <clears throat> but because a number of questions regarding the proposed nominee's belief and his judicial temperament is still unclear and incomplete. For example, the hearings also prove that he does not empathize with the crucial needs of working class Americans or the unique concerns of middle-class Americans, racial or ethnic minorities, the LGBT community, women or others who comprise this very diverse nation. Secondly, his record shows a willingness to allow law enforcement to use distasteful and counterproductive tactics of racial profiling. He also shows an open hostility to the Affordable Care Act and access to health care for all Americans, as well as sensible measures to protect Americans from the growing crisis of gun violence. The fact of the matter is that his nomination and anybody who's going to sit on the Supreme Court, not just him, but anybody's nomination is too important to rush. And we have Maria Gallagher, somebody say that name, Maria Gallagher, and Anna Maria Archila to thank for slowing the train because of their refusal to take no for an answer. You know, as I thought about their bold insistence, I thought about the times when we too, like Jeff Flake and Jonah, were confronted with moments when God calls us out and challenges us for our hypocrisy, our passivity, and our complicity concerning the things that are important to God. That there are times that God actually says to us, even though God gives us free will and gives us the option to choose. Look at somebody say, God gives you the option to choose. But I have discovered that there are times in our lives when God also says to us what Maria and Anna said to Jeff Flake, I will not take no for an answer. The text puts it this way. Then the word of the Lord, Deacon Charles, Deacon in training, Charles Goodman, Gooden came to Jonah saying, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Now, without the benefit of exegetical review, without the benefit of a historical reconstruction, without the benefit of exegeting the text, it is quite clear just from reading these two verses, Pastor Chuck, that this ain't the first time God told Jonah to do something. Much like us who sometimes act like we hard of hearing, when it comes to what God is telling us to do, this is not the first time Jonah has been given this directive of delivering a prophetic message. And Jonah initially rejected God's call to do as God instructed. Can you just say to yourself, you're a little bit like me. Because how many of us know the first time God tells us to do something we don't even do, we don't always do it either. Come on, don't sit in here and act deep with me. You know, the truth of the matter is God has to tell us several times. Y'all ain't said that. We have to go through review, remedial. We have to take classes over. Come on, repeaters. Well, I got a lot of repeaters in here. From the pulpit to the pew, because sometimes we act like we don't hear what God is saying. A review of the text, a review of the story in chapter 1 and 2, read it when you get home. Tell us that Jonah, like so many of us, initially, somebody said initially, initially refused to do as God instructed. 
What's ironic about it, what's paradoxical about it, is that Jonah is a prophet. A prophet that came on the scene in the northern kingdom of Israel during the rule, according to the text, of Jeroboam 2. He hears God's word and outright does what he wants to do. Now, the statement in and of itself is ironic and paradoxical because what would make someone who has the assignment of speaking to God on behalf of God act as if God's commandments are optional? But before we check Jonah, let's talk about ourselves. Before we talk about Jonah, let's talk about all other times that we've acted like the things God told us to do are optional. You see, I came to preach today. Acted as if what God has instructed us to do, the instructions that God gives us, they meant for somebody else. But the truth of the matter is, as far as Jonah was initially concerned, the command, even though it came from God, as far as Jonah was concerned, it was an option. Nineveh had no appeal for Jonah. It was a fanatically vile and great evil empire. And Nineveh, Pastor Kanita, was one of Israel's most dreaded enemies. The Assyrians flaunted their power before God and the world through numerous acts of heartless cruelty. Nineveh stood as the symbol of evil. Many of Jonah's contemporaries had experienced the atrocities of the Assyrians. Jonah doesn't say much about Nineveh's wickedness, but the prophet Nahum, somebody said Nahum. We ain't talking about your cousin. This is a book in the Bible. Nahum, somebody shout Nahum. Nahum tells us about Nineveh's wickedness. In chapters 1 through 3 of Nahum, we find out that the people of Nineveh were guilty of evil plots against God. They were guilty of exploitation of the helpless. They were guilty of cruelty in war. They were guilty of idolatry, prostitution, and witchcraft. But in spite of all of these things that Nineveh had done, because God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts, God has a way, I know I'm right, of giving us sagacious assignments, things that we don't agree with and things that we don't want to do. He tells Nineveh and tells Jonah, in spite of the bad reputation that Nineveh has, to go to Nineveh, warn them of judgment, and declare that they will receive God's mercy and forgiveness if they repent. I can hear Jonah in my sanctified imagination saying, I'll go preach to anybody but them Ninevites. Y'all ain't saying nothing. It's like God telling us to go and apologize to somebody that has offended us. It's like God telling us to go and be nice to somebody. Y'all won't talk to me. Who has mistreated you, who lied on you, who's offended you, who's talked about you behind your back. And the only thing you want to do is cuss them out. Y'all ain't, 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 ain't got no real crowd in here today. But the only thing you really got for them is a few words. You want to give them a piece of your mouth. And God tells you, go and preach a message. Y'all won't talk to me today. Of repentance how in the world could God ask Jonah to go and preach to some people who have been this disrespectful and who have been that harsh toward his people is God crazy is God nuts what's up with this what kind of assignment is this in fact Jonah demonstrates his approval of God's initiative he doesn't just say he don't agree with it. He shows him that he doesn't agree. He, the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, he flees, gets on a ship. Y'all with me? In the Bible, he gets on a ship, 
gets on a boat and flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I did, the math, I did this research to find out how far Tarshish was from where Jonah was. It was almost 2,500 miles away from where he was, which tells us that he went as far as from Memphis to the West Coast. He was dead set on not doing what God, y'all ain't saying nothing, told him to do. So his response is not just geographical, it's theological. For at the core of Jonah's response, watch this, is not just that he's running from preaching a sermon. Touch your neighbor and say, this ain't just about no sermon. Excuse my ebonics. This is not just about a sermon. He is running from his assignment, Jackie, good to see you, and his purpose. Can I come back and get you? I said, this is bigger than a sermon. It's bigger than him preaching to people that he does not like. Jonah, in essence, when he runs away to Tarshish Tara, gets in a boat, he is running 2,500 miles in the opposite direction because it's not just about preaching a sermon, Deacon Phil. It's about running from his purpose and his assignment. How many of us have told God no to some stuff he told us to do? See, the truth of the matter is this pointed message was that Israel, which has once seen itself as a light to the nation, has grown more defensive over the years. Somebody said the years will make you defensive. The years will make you harsh. The years will make you angry. The years will make you hostile. The years will put you on the defensive. The years will cause you to be offense, to walk around in offense. They had grown more defensive after years of military losses and diplomatic concessions to foreign idols. Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, represented the enemy camp at its powerful and its weakest. No Jew wanted to lift a finger to, fight them, to help the Ninevites. And Jonah was no exception. He had no desire. Somebody say, I ain't got no desire. How many of you know some of the things God tell you do, you have no desire to do it? Come on, don't sit in here and look deep at me now. Some of the things God tells us do, we have absolutely no desire to do it, and we don't even try to do it. We act like God talking to somebody else. He had no desire to help the Ninevites. If we look at Jonah's instructions, however, through Jonah's, at God's instructions, through Jonah's eyes, we can kind of understand why God's instructions were so troubling. Because you see, to an Israelite like Jonah, the pronouncement to go and preach to the Ninevites would be the contemporary equivalent of somebody, God saying, let's go preach to Osama bin Laden. Y'all don't talk to me now. It'd be the equivalent of God saying, go preach to your most arch enemy, the person who has made your life the most miserable. Go and preach a message of repentance and forgiveness. Now, you know the last thing you want God to do for your enemy is save them. Come on with your deep self. Come on with your deep self. The last thing you want God to do is save your enemy or give your enemy another day. You've been praying that God would kill them. Y'all ain't talking. You've been praying that they would choke. Y'all listen that. You know, if you know about imprecatory psalms, imprecatory psalms are the kind of psalms where the people of God pray divine retribution against their enemies. We know if we tell the truth. Come on, you can, be, you can tell truth in here. Last thing we think about is praying for our enemies or those who have inflicted pain upon us. Dr. Valerie Bridgman writes that Jonah, run, Jonah runs in the opposite direction from the word that comes to him and for good reason. He cannot see how this word can be anything good for his own tribe. In other words, Jonah doesn't see any good that's going to come out of him going to preach a good word to his enemies. He cannot see how it's going to benefit his tribe. He disobeyed God, Bridgman says, out of his deeper loyalty to his own people. 
Jonah's story reveals a rebellious, marginal prophet who is angry with God about being merciful with the enemy and who is adamant about his oppressor's destruction. In other words, Jonah had an issue with God dispensing mercy and redemption to the undeserving without restitution or accountability for their bloodthirsty, land-grabbing, people-enslaving ways. In other words, in some ways, Jonah was justified by how he felt. And God can deal with us feeling some kind of way. Let your neighbor say, I be feeling some kind of way. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me, but you can go. God can deal with us feeling some kind of way because we know we recognize injustice when we see it. Y'all ain't talking. So God can handle us feeling some kind of way, but that doesn't mean that because we feel some kind of way, God changes the assignment. Y'all won't talk. Because God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes God calls us to do something that if given to our own devices, we would not have chosen that assignment. See, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the nation that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and held the southern kingdom of Judah as a vassal for more than 100 years or a slave. Assyria was more than an enemy. It was a brutal, occupying force that forever changed Israel's fortune. Jonah is called out by God to go and prophesy to the enemy. And if I really can tell the truth today, can I tell the real truth today? I don't know many of us who would have done, done any different. I don't know many of us who would have been going, who would be Baba Shankaranaboshi Kanada? I'm going to preach to my enemies. Oh no. Come on with your deep self. I don't know many of us that would have been willing to go because God can give us some hard assignments. I can't imagine being in a worse situation. Jonah is told to go into the enemy city and announce God's judgment. He's told to preach a message of repentance to people who, in his opinion, don't deserve God's mercy. How can you be in relationship with people who try to destroy you? That's what God is asking Jonah to do. He's asking him to go and preach a message to people who have been hell-bent on destroying them. And then to make matters worse... There's no free agency clause in the contract. In other words, what I'm saying, if you know anything about a contract, ain't Ruby, most contracts you sign give you an out. They give you a clause that says, if you ain't satisfied, y'all won't talk to me. I talked to y'all about fine print the other day. The clause said that if you're not necessarily satisfied, if the person failed, come on, to deliver like they're supposed to, you have a free agency clause that allows you to opt out. But Jonah doesn't even have the option of opting out of this contract. Because he's on God's chain game. And even though we're not specifically told why Jonah runs, perhaps he feared for his life. Perhaps he thought the enemy had no desire, didn't deserve to be offered a chance. Either way, he leaves town on the first boat out, and he ends up in a fish, not a whale. Touch your neighbor say, where you get that from? That ain't in the Bible. You know, you say what I said to him. Tell him it ain't, he, didn't, he didn't end up in a whale. Perhaps we translated it to be a whale because we know that a whale was big enough to swallow up a man. But the Bible doesn't say he got swallowed by a whale. I'm just trying to help y'all. When you go to your break room tomorrow, you can look like you're real deep and theologically astute and say, did you know that Jonah was not swallowed by a whale? It was a great fish. 
Y'all ain't talking to me today. I'm just trying to help you right here. It was not a whale. Somebody shout, it was not a whale. But it was a fish big enough to swallow Jonah, and it is only when Jonah ends up in the belly of the fish that he does what most of us do when we get in trouble. He calls out to God, prays a prayer, and God delivers him out of the belly of the fish onto dry land. Isn't it just like God to come to our rescue when we call God, even when we don't deserve God to deliver us? Come on, clap your hands and give God some praise that God delivers us even when we don't deserve to be delivered with our hard head itself. Today's text then is the second command to Jonah because God has already told him once to go to Nineveh. But the text that we are preaching from is a second command to Jonah to go to Nineveh. And it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Somebody say a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Now, I have to admit, as I preached this sermon and as I was dealing with this text, there are some interpretive challenges that this text presents regarding the abusive relationship between Assyria and Israel. There are some interpretive challenges that this text presents when we consider what God is asking uh, 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 Jonah to do, particularly if you look at this through the eyes of an oppressed group. There are some interpretive challenges that present a challenge to us when we are looking at this text, but I see something in verse 1 and 2 that I believe is still worthy of our consideration, and that is, are we not sometimes like Jonah? Do we not sometimes go completely in a different direction than God has instructed us because we don't necessarily like the assignment. Oh, we've never boarded a ship destined to Tarshish, but we have developed a number of ways of running from God. Because all of us are experienced runners. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm experienced in running. A whole lot of us come to church every week, but we know how to run from God. We, we know how to run from God for various reasons. Sometimes whether our reasons are valid or invalid, we find ourselves, watch this, running, resisting, or rejecting our assignment and God-given purpose. Because at the end of the day, this is not, as I said, just about a sermon preached to the Ninevites. This is about a person who was resisting, running, and rejecting his God-given purpose. God spoke to the prophet Jonah and gave him what God often gives us, an unwanted, unwelcome assignment. Because somebody said it with me, unwanted and unwelcome. God gave Jonah an unwanted and unwelcome assignment, and Jonah refused the offer. Instead of obeying, Jonah turned around and ran. Notice that he didn't just run, but he ran from the presence of God. Here's the question. What do we do? with an unwelcome and unwanted assignment. Perhaps we have not been called to take a message of redemption to our enemies, but could it be possible that God gives all of us an assignment and we choose to run, y'all ain't talking to me, in the opposite direction? Can we wrestle with our own truth this morning? Not somebody else's truth. You know, we good with other folks' truth. We read the battle tapes. So-and-so, so-and-so need this. No, this tape ain't for nobody else. This tape for us. Can we wrestle with our own truth this morning? Can we wrestle with the assignment, with the stuff that God has given us to do, that we acted as if it was optional or we just outright ignored? Has God called us to preach his word? Is God calling us to a deeper level of commitment? 
Is God calling us away from apathy and indifference, casual Christianity, or from practical atheism? Has God called us to move from consumer Christianity, acting like God is somebody that exists strictly for our pleasure? Has God simply called us to live a more committed life? May I suggest that God doesn't just give assignments to the pastor. May I suggest that God doesn't just give assignments to the preachers and the prophets or those who are in leadership. God calls people, somebody shout, talking about you and me, to carry out his will, to touch the world with his love, to serve him through our service to others. The truth is that there are certain tasks that we, including myself, don't mind volunteering for, especially if it's something we like to do. Oh, come on, you, 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 you don't swell up. I know you're going to swell up, but I'm going to go on. It's going it's to get better at the end. The truth of the matter, there are some things we don't like to do. Something that won't require much of us. Something that won't inconvenience us. Lord, shall I buy this car? Lord, is it your will for me to purchase this phone? Lord, do I need to buy this dress? Lord, should I go on this week-long cruise to the Bahamas? It's amazing how clearly we hear God's voice and see confirmation when it's something we want to do. Touch your neighbor and say, you, 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 it's amazing how we, we, we find a, we find a way to obey. You find a way on the parking lot. Though. You hear God like you ain't never, you heard him as clear as day talking to you. The birds start prophesying. The neighbors that you don't even speak to got a word for you. We see confirmations in everyday symbols. We drove past three white cars, so God must be saying it's for me to do it. We, uh, uh, the dog barked at me twice last night when I was getting in the bed. Uh, y'all ain't saying nothing. We see confirmations everywhere when it's something we want to do confirmations are all over the place when it's something that we want to do or something that doesn't convenience us but when God gives us an unwelcome or an inconvenient assignment or an unwelcome task we want unlimited confirmation we want signs and wonders we want miracles we want the angels and the heavenly hosts to show up and sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and good y'all won't talk to me but I know I'm right and goodwill toward me and why? Because nobody, ain't Rachel, really wants to be inconvenienced. Come here, go on, tell the truth. Come on, go on, say it to yourself. I don't really want to be inconvenienced. And the truth of the matter is we don't really want to do anything that's going to take us out of our comfort zone. Nobody really wants the assignment that's going to inconvenience us or make demands of us. That's why Jesus would say to people, foxes have holes. And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's why when somebody came to him and said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, but let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. That's why when people came to Jesus, telling that they want to be his disciple, he said, first you got to deny yourself and then pick up the cross and follow me because none of us, none of us, from the pulpit to the pew, want the assignment that's going to inconvenience us or make demands of us. Because our greatest enemy to obedience is our comfort zone. I'll say it again. I say our greatest enemy to obedience to God is our comfort zone. Because remaining comfortable is our highest priority. Especially in this culture in which we live, this narcissistic, self-centered culture where the self has been enthroned and God has been dethroned. Because remaining comfortable is our highest priority. Everything has to be fun for me and beneficial for me. If it's not beneficial for me, I ain't showing up. And if it ain't going to be fun for me, I'm not going to help. They can get somebody else to do it. We can delegate somebody because I got too much to do. Because unless it's fun, unless it's beneficial, unless I can see an immediate return on my investment, I'm not going to do the assignment. Let somebody else do it. Jonah knew with certainty what the Lord wanted him to do. 
And may I suggest that many times we know what God wants us to do too, but we say, I'm not ready yet. James 4 and 17 says, the one who knows the right thing to do it and does not do it to him is still sin. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. God has so many things that God wants us to do, but the labors are few because the things that God has for many of us to do are unwelcome and are unwanted assignments. The church of today wants low-hanging fruit. We like low-hanging fruit. We like low forms of commitment like showing up for church and doing absolutely nothing. And some of us won't even do that. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm here today. We like low-hanging fruit. We like, we like to show up and be counted as present, but then we get here, we complain about everything and complain about what everybody doing, but don't lift a finger to do nothing. Don't come with no solution. Just criticize and, and rip folks to shred, but you come and show up and do absolutely nothing because we like low-hanging fruit. Rather than being a part of the solution, we'd rather be a part of the problem because it gives us something to complain about and fuss about and, 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 and pick about and nitpick about because we like low-hanging fruit. Some of us don't even want commitment on a regular basis. I heard Reverend Renita Weems call us low-impact, high-maintenance Christians. In other words, we want to see the glory of God. We want to see the world change for God's glory, but let somebody else do it. I want to see the world change, but let Richard go minister to all the folks. I want to, I want to see the world change, but send the pastor. That's what we pay her for. I want to see the world change, but let Pastor Chuck do it. No, God saved us for something, from something, for something. Somebody shout low-impact, high-maintenance. Low impact, high maintenance. Y'all know about low impact, high maintenance cars? Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. It doesn't take much to sit through a service. It doesn't take much to come here and do nothing but complain and criticize what everybody is not doing. It doesn't take much to stand on the sidelines and be a passive participant. But if we want to grow spiritually, we must take a step of commitment. We must make a commitment in our heart to start the task and bring it to completion. Jonah, Deacon Linda, was running from an unwelcome and unwanted assignment. He tried to distance himself as far as he could from the Lord and the Lord's commands. But what Jonah discovered, as some of us will discover, is that when we run from God, there's always a price. Can you just tell somebody when you run from God, it's always a price? There's always a price from running from God. If you read Jonah chapter 1, you'll find that there are times that God lets us ignore, but there are times that we cannot ignore God without impunity. Jonah ran from the assignment, boarded a ship to sail to Tarshish, ended up in the belly of a fish and a storm. The same ship that he boarded to sail to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord is the same ship, somebody said, same ship, that landed in a storm with Jonah on board. A storm so severe that the other passengers decided to throw Jonah overboard to save his life. He's thrown overboard. God has prepared a fish to catch him, to save him in the belly where he remains for three days and three nights until Jonah prays to God for deliverance and when he prays God vomits the fish vomits him back out and puts him on dry land ain't it funny isn't it funny how the same person that we don't want to do nothing they say is the same person that we end up having to ask to help us when we in trouble you ain't got to tell the truth but you ought to go on and admit it go and get set free and tell the truth that the fame the very person that we have treated his commands as optional is the very person that when we find ourselves in a pinch when we find ourselves in the belly of the fish he's the same God that we end up asking to deliver us and here's the good news here's your shout in spite of the fact that I ain't done nothing he told me to do 
do? He still delivers me anyway. Now, you've been sitting here swole with your lips poked out and your jaws tight, but I need you to take 30 seconds and give God some praise that he delivers me anyway. Somebody give him an anyway praise. Somebody clap your hands and shout anyway. He does it anyway when I disobey him, when I'm contrary, when I'm trifling. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. Can somebody shout anyway? He delivers us anyway. He gives us another chance anyway. Can you clap your hands and give God praise for another chance? See, the problem is we get so used to God's grace, we take God's grace for granted because we think that because God doesn't bill us on net 30 days that God ain't coming for us. You see, the truth of the matter is you can disobey God, but eventually there's a bill that's going to have to be paid. And the bill is not always net 30 days. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. Sometimes it's 60 days. Sometimes it's 90 days. Sometimes it's six years. Sometimes it's 10 years. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, I don't hear nobody saying nothing, is eternal life. At some point, at some point, at some point, there is a price to be paid for going in the opposite direction. Jonah went in the opposite direction of where God was calling him. Thank you, Deacon. I'm doing the best I can. He ends up in the belly of a fish. Praise to God. Stay with me. And God delivers him. And he lands on dry land. The narrative has now reached a climactic point because now we hear God saying the same thing in Jonah chapter 3 minister Bailey that he said in chapter 1 but this time it seemed like God is saying let's hit the reset button <laughs> let's try this here y'all ain't saying nothing one more time and I need some people who know that God has hit the reset button for you to not look at me but give God some praise for your reset button can you tell God, thank you for the reset button? Can you tell God, thank you, that all the times I acted like I didn't hear God, I acted like I was playing the nut roll, I act like God was talking to somebody else, but God gave me another chance and hit the reset. But do I have anybody with a reset praise that can clap your hands and open your mouth and bless God that as far as the east is from the west, God keeps on removing my transgressions and giving me another chance? Can you clap your hands and tell him, thank you? Matter of fact, why don't you high-five somebody and tell them I thank God for another chance. He didn't have to let me live, but he did. Didn't have to save me, but he did. Didn't have to pick me up, but he did. Didn't have to give me a new start, but he did. Can you clap your hands and give God praise? So it seems like, I'm just about finished. Seems like what God is saying to Jonah is, okay, let's, okay, okay, okay. Let's pretend like this didn't happen. Y'all don't know when to shout. I'm going to come and talk to this side over here. It seems like what God is saying in Jonah chapter 3 is, okay, 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 okay. Let's pretend like this didn't happen. Thank you, scholars. He, it, it looks like, because see, when you understand how many times God has acted like he thought you didn't understand, and he gives you another chance and said, let's pretend like it doesn't happen. We ought not have to beg you to give him praise. You ought to come in here entering into his gates with thanksgiving. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. And into his courts with praise. Somebody ought to be thankful unto God. And somebody ought to bless his name. Because the Lord is. 
can't hear nobody saying nothing. Look at somebody say, because the Lord is good. That's why you shout when you say, when I think of his goodness and everything he done for me. Oh, shucks here, my soul cries out. Hallelujah. I thank God. Not just for saving me, but for another chance. Tell somebody if you knew my story, you'd understand my praise. He doesn't just give me one chance, or two chances, or three chances, but a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance, and a sixth chance, and a seventh chance, and an eighth chance, and a ninth chance, and a tenth chance, and an eleventh chance, and a twelfth chance, and a thirteenth chance, and a fourteenth, and a fifteenth, and a sixteenth, and a seventeenth, and an eighteenth, and a nineteenth, and a twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. Five, six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, over and 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 over. He keeps on giving me another chance. Somebody shout glory. Somebody shout thank you, Jesus. Somebody open your mouth and give God your best praise shake that hand and say another chance i should have been dead i should have been cuckoo i should have been crazy he didn't have to let me live oh but thanks be to god he kept me alive so i could tell him yes yes to your will yes to your way yes to your word i can't hear nobody by myself don't leave me by myself I just need a few people that know you don't deserve to be here that know you should have been dead that God should have cut you off to open your mouth and jump to your feet and thank God for another chance come on praise him let the redeem of the Lord say something is that all you got is a little pity pat of praise when you think of where he saved you, when you think of how he rescued you, when you think of what he brought you out of, is that the best you can do? Open your mouth and tell God, thank you for how you brought me. Thank you for how you taught me. Thank you for how you kept me. Thank you. You never left me. Every now and then, you ought to like like a broken record and just say, thank you, thank you. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I can't hear you. Y'all act like y'all thanking me. But I dare you to give God the praise he deserves. give it to God. I said give God the praise. If you know he saved you, if you know he spared you, if you know he rescued you, if you know you didn't deserve it, open your mouth. Just find somebody tell them another chance. Tell them another chance. Another chance to get it right. Another chance to serve him. Another 
another chance to obey him, another chance to do his will, another chance to sing his praise, another chance to serve him with my whole heart. Somebody open your mouth and shout. Some of y'all ain't been sick enough. Some of you ain't been in enough trouble. Some of you haven't gone through enough. But I just need a few people that know that if it had not been for the Lord on your side to just start giving him a praise, to just saturate the atmosphere, to just give God glory, I didn't deserve it. Look at somebody say, I don't deserve it. I ain't done everything right. But he keeps on giving me another chance. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. 